You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Peel, and each week you'll hear from artists, entrepreneurs, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. This week, I had a fun conversation with Matt Price, founder of Cannibalist Co. Since starting his first marijuana company as a producer in his early 20s, Matt has accomplished a lot. His company now operates five dispensaries and will be adding a processing facility in the near future. I regret not asking him more about this in the interview. One of the things I noticed in our conversation is that Matt has successfully navigated some really interesting changes at his company. I'd point out that he started out as a producer in Colorado and then changed course by moving to Portland and setting up his own marijuana farmer's market, which later became a medical dispensary, which later became a recreational dispensary, which is now branching into processing and production of marijuana products. The lesson for me that I take from this is that it can be almost impossible to imagine where your business will wind up as few as five or six years in the future. So it doesn't always do a lot of good to wait for certainty or the perfect plan. Instead, what I think Matt has done and what works well for so many entrepreneurs is to start something and to make changes as you go. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Matt Price. Tell me a little bit about how you got started uh, with cannabis in particular. Yeah, so um, you know, I was in college in Colorado. I started working for one of the first dispensaries out there, and quickly realized that there was there was an opportunity to get involved. You know, it was it was barely starting, so you know there was there was a there was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts, and a lot of exciting things happening. So I ended up um, starting my own cultivation business. Um, it was pretty short-lived. Um, the laws out there changed pretty quickly, so I ended up, um, you know, starting my business. And then shortly after, the state made it to where the um, growers needed to be employees of the dispensary, and I didn't necessarily want to do that. So during that time period, Oregon was getting ready to pass a measure called Measure 76, um, which was going to be the first dispensary law here in Portland, or here in the state, I should say. And so I decided to pack all my stuff up and move up here. Um, I raised a little bit of money and, you know, we started Cannabis uh, with about $20,000, which is, okay. you know, about as bootstrapped as they come. Yeah, <laughs> is that like friends and family money? No, no, it was, uh, it was through a business associate. Okay. Um, it was one of my first partners. Investor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and came up here and lived in my cousin's basement for you know a few months while we looked for our spaces and um, ended up finding the fire station which is our you know our flagship store and um, you know lived in one of the offices at the fire station furnished a place with IKEA you know it was it was literally like down to the wire on on the uh, on the you know the funding that we had come out so it was kind of it was kind of crazy um, and then after that, you know, it started. We started to gain some popularity, and you know, within about a month, we had already recouped. Um, you know, being that it was only twenty thousand dollars, that's not super exciting, but it was cool to me. You know, that is. I mean, that's good money at any rate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was neat. You know, it was neat. So, um, you know, it grew from there, and you know, we we turned. We first opened up as a farmers market. Um, you know, and the idea was that when the dispensary laws came through that we would transition from being a farmer's market to being a, a normal dispensary. And we'd basically have the built-in clientele, we'd have the, you know, we'd have the 
um, relationships with all the growers and things of that nature. Can you explain the farmer's market concept a little bit? Yeah, so so we used to have these booths that we that we leased out to local growers. So okay. the growers would pay me a daily a daily booth fee, um, you know, and they would be able to show their wares and we would check IDs of people at the front and their cards to make sure that they were medical patients. Okay. And they would come in and they would get to shop basically like a farmer's market. Uh, yeah. So you're essentially like like a real estate company like at that point. Yeah, you know, like we were glorified land, we were glorified landlords, yeah. Okay. I mean it was it was very similar to that. Yeah. I mean we we started off just just with, you know, the booths and, you know, kinda of made it a private club. You know, we had like a movie theater that you used to be able to there used to be a theater screen right there actually. Right. Um, we had video games and Okay. All kinds of fun stuff, and people Just would come here and smoke, and they had the farmers market, and you know it was like a private club um, slash farmers market cannabis store. And you know when the when the laws changed, then we transitioned over to being an actual dispensary. It's kind of just been you know on its way from there. So, okay, so you talked about a few things that I want to get back to. Okay. So one of the things you mentioned is that you didn't like the idea of your your business essentially becoming an employee of another dispensary. Uh, is that more of a money thing or more of a personal thing? You know, it was it was a bit of both. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur is is fun. You know, being in charge of your own destiny is fun. It's it's also risky and it's stressful and it's everything else out there. But there is. There's not much that's more rewarding than creating something and having a having a positive outcome. Yeah. You know, when you can create your own income, that's really cool. It's yeah. it's it's really neat. You know, you're when you're not clocking in and out. Um, it's it's a really neat feeling. Now, there's nothing against that. You know, I I wouldn't be where I'm at without my employees, and you know, it's you know, there's there's just some some people have that. You know, have that bit of gusto that want to go and try to do their own thing, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good times, and there's a lot of stressful ones too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I believe it. Yeah, that time in your cousin's basement, like probably not the easiest. Yeah, no, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't enjoyable. You know, bulk bulk amounts of hot dogs and ramen noodles. You know, yeah. it was, what it was were you guys doing the, the evenings? Like, were you pretty much just working all the time, or? No, I mean during the evenings at that time before I had before I had the location, we were playing Xbox. Okay. <laughs> we, we would play we would play Halo tournaments, you know, down in the basement against everybody that was in the house. Right. There was a bunch of us cousins that all that all lived in the same place, and yeah. so we would we'd sit there and veg out and play video games. And the next day, I'd wake up and I'd go hit the streets trying to find a location. Um, during the during the time of the store opening the nighttime, um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't off work until. You know, ten o'clock at night typically, um, and I was I was up getting stuff ready at eight thirty, um, you know, which isn't the wee hours of the morning, but it was early enough for a twenty-five year old kid, you know. I mean, it's a long day. It's a long work day. day. Yeah, it's a long work day. Yeah, it is. I mean, but it was, but you know, there, there's the saying that it doesn't. If you're enjoying it, it's not work, you know. Right. And so there's there is a bit of that. It did get pretty tiring. Um, you know, but and during the night times, during the night times, you know, after that, you know, if I want to go blow off some steam or something, I go grab a beer yeah. from a place down the street, you know, and then come back home and go to sleep or wake up and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like that sense of purpose, like you're really doing something worthwhile. I think that's valuable. 
Um, so, okay, so you mentioned voice just as long. We're kind of, I've got a bunch of topics that I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah go ahead. We're just jumping around a little bit. Um, something that I've noticed and like really liked about your stores is just that everyone's like really friendly, really professional, really helpful. Mm-hmm. It's just like a great quality service that, I mean, you can see in like, not just within the weed business, but like retail in general, you don't always see that. It seems like a good culture, as I guess what I'm saying. How have you cultivated that? You know, I think I think the culture has been largely cultivated from you know the fact that you know it's we we try to we try to have a pretty easy environment to work in. You know, we are not you know on everybody about you know this or that, and you know we we try to try to build people up as opposed to boss them around. You know, um, you know I'm now I'm 31, six years into the business, and. You know, I'm still, I still feel like a young guy, like a kid, you know, and it's, I want my places to be fun. I want my employees to enjoy working here. You know, we, we've, I think we've been able to, to culminate that environment by starting from the top down. You know, we, we all enjoy our work. We all coke and joke and laugh and, you know, listen to loud music and, you know, but at the same time, I think everybody realizes that this is, this is a job and, you know, we want to provide a service to people and it is, it is competitive. And so we need to be better than the person down the street. Um, and we, we just try to give our employees the tools we can to do that. And, you know, a lot of it starts with our, with our store managers, um, and who they choose to hire. Um, and you know, it's, what do you look for when you're hiring? You know, typically I, I don't really handle the hiring anymore, but we, we typically look for outgoing personalities. I mean, that's, that's pretty pretty key. You yeah. know, you don't want people that are quiet working in a retail situation. Sure. They're probably not probably not going to be the best. It's not going to say that there's not a fit for them, but you know, they're typically not the people that you want greeting. Um, you know, we look for intelligence. We look for self-starting. You know, we want people to um, you know to want to be here. You know, if we just have somebody come that drops off a crinkled resume and is just like here, you know, I'm looking for a job type of thing. Nine times out of ten that person's not going to get the job. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to look for that person that wants to work here. And I think that that helps, that helps a lot. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, retail typically has like pretty high turnover from what I understand. Super high. Yeah. Is that something that like you guys struggle with? Um, you know, I wouldn't say struggle with it, or, but we, but we definitely, we definitely battle it. I mean, is that, a, I guess I'm saying, like, is that a threat and like, how do you, yeah. People engage a little longer. Yeah, you know, my my oldest employee, or my I shouldn't say oldest, not by age, but the one that's worked here for me the longest is in his like sixty year. Mm-hmm. You know, I have multiple multiple employees that have worked here for over you know over a year, yeah. two years, you it's know, really three years. Like just a typical retail. Yeah, job. it is. It is, and you know, we typically we typically have a high high amount of turnover um, in our in our our bud tenders and things like that. Um, you know, there's our assistant managers and managers seem to hold their positions pretty well. So sometimes you get people that, you know, just need growth. And we, um, you know, as we're a growing company, we might not have the ability to put them into a position that we don't have yet. Um, you know, and the other thing that we deal with is, you know, we live in live in Oregon where, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't put a lot of emphasis on working. You know, their their life balance is significantly higher than their yeah. work balance. Like where young people go to retire. Exactly. Yeah, same same concept. So, you know, we get a we get that, you know, quite a bit that people don't understand why they can't call in on a sunny day. It's like, well, because 
we still have a business to open, <laughs> you know, I don't get to call in on a sunny day. Maybe sometimes I do, but, uh, you know, typically I try to be yeah, there, you know? Like a, well, like if you can find some on the cover, you're like, yeah. good luck, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's more, it's more along the lines of just, you know, in retail in general, there's not, there's not a lot of meat on the bone for people. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of those jobs out there. So the risk versus reward isn't, isn't that significant. You know, we try to offer, you know, incentives and things like that to, to keep people on. So like all of our staff get 20% off of everything. So, I mean, that's a significant savings. Um, you know, we do cool company parties. Last time I got a, I got a suite, this last one, I, did, I got a suite for the Red Hot Chili Peppers um, for our staff, you know, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, we, we have a bunch of concerts and stuff, bands that we align with that we try to get tickets for the staff. We do sales rewards. Um, you know, so we try to incentivize, but it still takes it still takes somebody that wants to that wants to work yeah. um, to stay around. And typically, you know, your average retail employees is looking to kind of bounce around and shift, and it's just kind of a placeholder for them. Yeah, to bridge a gap between like, two other things that they want to do. Exactly, exactly. Which you know, more power to them. Mm-hmm. That's totally cool to me. Yeah, good. How do you think about training? You know, training, training is, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we definitely, you know, it hurts us when we're, when our turnover is high. Um, but we have, you know, very solid management. We have very solid employees, um, that have been here with us that help, help jump in. I mean, we're, we're not talking about, um, you know, rocket science when it comes to managing the POS systems and doing that sort of stuff. It's simple cash management. So a lot of the a lot of the work is actually already out of the way for us. You know, typically people are coming in with retail experience, and we try to make our system as easy as possible for new staff to come in because we are aware of our turnover. Right. Um, just like systematizing it, so you don't have to have it. Yeah, exactly. A, like a, you know, effort. A plus B always equals C. You know, and, and as long as you do it this way, you're always going to get the right outcome. And if there is an issue, we have enough support. Um, you know, to, to help people out, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, when, when you bring people on, do they, do you look for, like, like product knowledge? Um, or is yeah. that something more on the, like, the back end, like, during training and stuff? You know, we, we look for a little product knowledge, you know, a familiarity with the product is always good, um, but not too much. You know, we don't want a bunch of experts coming in here because they're going to have what they think is, you know, they, they're going to have an idea of how they think that things should be. And we have already have a way that things are, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's not saying that they're wrong and we're right, but this is our company and this is how we run it. And this is how we want it to be. You know, consistent experience. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we typically look for a little bit of it, but it's, it's, you know, there's nobody out there that's a complete expert. Um, you know, there's the cannabis industry is changing constantly. You know, we're finding new things about about it on a daily basis. Um, you know, the strains that were in last year, you know, most of them are different this year. You yeah. know, so it's so it's it's staying it's staying up on things. Yeah, so how do you do that? Um, you know, we just watch the cultural trends. I mean, we try to keep our you know keep our finger on the pulse. I've got um, a couple of guys that are in my purchasing um, department that are. That, that that's all they do is they purchase the product for all of my stores so they they see what's coming up through all the what the different vendors are offering and you know, different wholesalers and you know we look at the different strains that are popular and you know those sort of things yeah is there like a like a review process for it or like is there like a like a 
you know, like Amazon reviews kind of thing. There, there are, there are. Is you know, that like a helpful thing as you're doing this. I mean, yes and yes and no. You know, is reason being is because we're in recreational now. You know, in medical, we had a. Um, you know, we had we were after certain strains before there were chemical compounds. You know, to help people out, high CBD strains. You know. Um, your harlequins and things like that and then you know there are other strains that were good you know for for certain things that they those really had more of a review process um, now that we're entering in a recreational um, landscape you know the common consumer views cannabis as cannabis right um, you know they're going to come in, come into the store and make their own decision based on smell and look mm-hmm. um, and then once they have they have the feeling they might revisit that same strain again so a lot of a lot of the strains, um, you know, and, and confidence in strains, is based on the consumer's experience. And there's, you know, right now it's it's also based on how our employees like the products. You know, so if you know we try to advise people on like, oh, like this one's really good for that. You know, I tried this, it was awesome. You know, I tried this one, it's pretty mellow. It's not going to put you down. You know, those sort of things. You know, we, we, we strive to try to educate our, our consumers through their interactions with us as opposed to, you know, going on an Amazon type of thing where you can rate a product or so on and so forth. Right. That seems like, I don't know, it's like you get a better feel for it by talking to a person. Because you, you just, if you don't know, like, the jargon around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, so something that I like was reading a little bit about, you have a lot of people that are in their like 40s or like all the way through like retirement age. Yeah. Um, and they're just like, like bringing them back into the business. Um, mm-hmm. Like what, what do you guys do for that? You know, a lot of, a lot of those people are coming in and they're just wanting advice on what they, on what they see. You know, there's a lot of this, you know, oh, the, you know, the strains are so strong now that, you know, they're not what we used to have. Well, we get our hands on what you used to have too. You know, we search for, you know, like the Panama Red and Acapulco Gold and those old school strains that, you know, that these people came from. And, you know, they they typically gravitate towards them, but we also try to open them up to new ones um, that, you know, and take away some of that factor that people, you know, people are thinking that, oh, this is, um, this is a, a super strong plant and we're, you know, we're a little afraid of it. Like, look, we'll ease in. Yeah. You know, and that's we. But I guess more of the advice that we give to people that are coming back into the marketplace is that you know just to just to ease yourself into it. Don't don't overindulge. You know, it's like you know when you go when you go to the bar and you order a shot, they don't give you the whole bottle. You know, yeah. you you take one, you see how that goes. You know, or you have a beer. The same analogy. Probably closer probably closer to the beer analogy as opposed to the shot analogy. But you know, it's it's the same thing. You know, pace yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like when you're first learning how to drink. You, yeah. Like, you can learn the hard way or you can kind of ease into it and it's... Yeah, yeah, I think most of us have, have learned both ways, you yeah. know, so... Yeah, you're know. like, yeah, you're pretty good for a while and then eventually you bump up against yeah. like whatever too much is. You're like, all right, now I know. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, you know, it's kind of the same, kind of the same mentality is you have, you have a, a bit of a pacing experience, you know, as humans were... We're going to consume to what we feel anyways you know i can tell you to you know to take one every two hours and you know you might not like that and you want to take one every three 
it's more of like an art than a science anyway so like it's good to have that like human touch on it I think yeah yeah you know we try to we try to advise people you know when you say on edibles and things like that we we practice extreme caution um you know you know extracts um you know BHO and stuff we do the same um you know and that's it really just comes down to trying to be trying to educate um to the extent that we understand you know we we don't claim to be you know the experts or you know that our advice should be you know um the be all end all but we we base it on our own experiences so one thing that i was curious about so you mentioned um like partnering with a private equity firm mm-hmm. um after that was after you had your first store yeah, so so I I had I had my I had two two stores open um, when they when they came in. I had two stores locked in when they came in. Um, they funded my third. Um, yeah, so how did, how did you uh, meet them? Um, I met them? I met them I met them through a um, through a conference in Colorado through another another friend of mine um, and. Uh, we, I ended up sitting down with the head of the equity firm, and we had about a thirty-minute lunch. And he liked what he heard, and you know he liked who I was, and he decided that he wanted to invest in my company, and so he bought in in two thousand fourteen, um, which was fun. It was really cool. Um, you know, I got a got a big chunk of change to put in my pocket, and went and spent it like an idiot. Like anybody that didn't have money that all of a sudden had a bunch of it does, you know. And, um, it was actually kind of a bummer. Is 2014 they invested in the company, and then 2015 we actually took a dive in the business. It went, it, we dropped by about 40 percent in revenue. What drove that? Um, 2014 was when the vote came in to legalize, right? Did the competition. So, so everybody opened up. So you know we went from having 50 stores in Portland to you know 200. Okay. So you know the instead of being loyal to brick and mortar, people were loyal to convenience, and so if there was, you know, if there's 50 shops between my store and, and their house, yeah. odds are they're going to hit one of those, you know. So it just really, just really kind of, kind of took us, took us for, took us for a slide. Yeah, that's um, how do you deal with it? Um, you know, we just, I just bootstrapped the hell out of it, just as as much as I could. Tried to cut all the costs that I could. Tried to be competitive with what I had. You know, put some of my own money back into the stores um, to keep things moving because I knew that it would come around where we were going to get to recreational sales and that we were going to come back up. You know, had had recreational failed, you know, the stores would have probably stayed healthy, um, but they wouldn't be as healthy as they are now. So we had to kind of take a step back to take a step forward, and it was it was a big learning experience. So it's mostly like a cash business, right? Yeah. So how do, I mean, there's like a lot of things, right? Like, like how do you pay taxes? How do you? We actually, we actually have, we actually have bank accounts. We we do. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a state credit union that allows us to bank with them. Um, You know, they, they pretty much have all the banks or all the banks, all the, uh, all the cannabis companies in in the state of Oregon. There's many as are within their range. Um, so we, you know, we have a security company that picks up the money and goes and deposits it in. You know, our POS systems have to match our bank statements um, due to the the Cole memo. Um, you know, what the 
the bank is allowed to operate under a certain set of procedures. So they monitor all of our accounts. They make sure, you know, we have to send them our P&Ls, um, you know, on a quarterly basis to make sure that we're matching up with, you know, what we're depositing in so that they can say that, you know, oh, these guys aren't, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, you know, that we are, we are doing what we say we are doing. So how does that work with, uh, being legal at like a state level and not at a federal level? Like, can that bank get like FDIC insured? No, no, they're state chartered. Okay. Um, and that's how they get around it. So the state of Oregon worked, um, you passed passed a law through legislation that allowed state banks to work with cannabis, with cannabis companies. So they're a state chartered bank. They're not a federal, federally insured bank. Okay. So how does the state charter work? Are they insured by the state or? I believe so. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm not, I'm not super sure on how, on how that works. Um, ways to get around, like just having like trash bags full of dollar bills. <laughs> you know, there's, there was a time with, before the credit union, before the credit union um, took our money that we were in between banks. I've been I've banked with pretty much all the major banks and been kicked out of just about all of them. Okay. Uh, so wait, so okay, go ahead. Like, like, yeah, go yeah. So so Wells Fargo, can. so Wells Fargo, I banked with them for a couple of years, and the people at the branch knew what I was doing. They knew that I was a cannabis business, and they accepted my account. You know, the, so it was during the time that Wells Fargo was doing all that silly business with moving people's accounts around and okay. taking incentives and stuff. You guys did sign people up. Yeah, so yeah, so they were, you know, they knew what we did for a living. You know, I talked about my company, and then you know, one day out of the blue, I guess it got up to a regional manager or somebody like that that was like, well, what the hell is going on? And you know, they just cut my accounts, and they they don't take your money. They just lo- they lock it up for two weeks, make sure that any deposits and checks that you've written are cleared. There's no activity on the account, and then they release your money. Um, you know, for a business owner, it's like. That could be really brutal. That could be like a death stroke. It could be. It could be. Luckily, we were healthy enough that it it wasn't a death stroke. Um, you know, we we bounced around from bank to bank, um, which was actually really difficult. Um, you know, I don't it think so. it was super hard with accounting and you know things of that nature. And you know, at the time, professional services like accountants and attorneys, you know, you were dealing with you know, hippies and, uh, you know, that got the yeah. law degrees and... That's another one that I had a lot of questions about, like, mm-hmm. like the image of... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, no worries. Um, you know, so so we bounced around. So there, I mean, there were times that, you know, I'd go and open my safe and be like, oh, God, what, what do I do with this? You know, there's $100,000 in my, in, my, in my safe that I'm just like, uh... You know, this is cool to look at, but I feel really uncomfortable that it's in here. Yeah. You know, so you know things like that were were difficult, and there were some there were some ups and downs and learning curves. And you know, we try to we try to keep as much money money of ours in the bank as we possibly can. You know, which clearly shows that we're not a criminal enterprise. <laughs> you know, we yeah. typically you want to go the opposite way. And, you know, have mattresses full of money if you, you know if you were uh, like dodging taxes or something. Yeah, if you were being silly, you know, so. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been something else, but now that we actually have banking, it makes your life so much easier. So as you said, you know, the payroll and, you know, all these different things that you have to do, it's like, they, they, you know, just something as simple as paying your electric bill, you know, think about doing that without, without a debit card or a check. Right. 
Well, I was thinking, like, like with tax, taxes and stuff, like maybe you can like drive it over to PGE or whatever and be like, all right, here's like $1,000 bills. Like that's not so much money that you can't carry it in a wallet. Well, there, there are there are federal depositories, um, you know, and there are guys in the cannabis industry that that do that do go and and deposit cash just just straight in the bank. Guys in Denver do it. They straight they just go straight to the, the federal depository where the IRS is, and they go and they bring them like a little duffel bags. Some some of them are large duffel bags. Okay, you know. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's it's weird. It's a weird thing. It may, the government makes it feel more illegal than it really is. You know what I mean? So it's more illegal. More illegal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they may, when you're going and delivering duffel bags to to your tax man, yeah. it feels kind of sketchy. You know, <laughs> as opposed to just being able to write them a check. Okay, guys, all the money went into yeah. the bank. Yeah, you know, you write a check. It's like, yeah. I'm a businessman. <laughs> yeah, I'm a drug lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. It seems like something that, well, like I try to notice is just like with a lot of other people's businesses, it's just a series of like problems that they solve and like you never really know what's going to be the next one, but you just kind of keep finding solutions to these things. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the, um, like the hippie, hippie thing. Is that like, um, in terms of the, is there like a stigma that makes it harder for you to get like taking that seriously as like because you're first and foremost like a businessman not like a stoner right yeah yeah you know there there was a time you know when the when the industry was really ripe here that it was very difficult to get anybody to touch you you know an accountant um or a an attorney uh you know a a legitimate law firm um you know i've been i've gone to some of them you know or had in the past and was told that we couldn't, that they couldn't help us, um, that they agreed with what we were doing, but just their their firm standard was that, that was liability. that it was that well, it was just too new. They didn't understand it well enough, and you know, yeah, I'm assuming that there's some kind of liability in there. Um, so in the beginning, it, it was really difficult, um, you know, in finding accountants. I mean, I went through like five different accountants, and uh, which was a mess within its own until. You know, we finally landed on a really good accounting firm, which came through a really good attorney, you know, that, you know, so we, you know, we've, now that the industry is taking a different step and, you know, our, our company is, you know, probably one of the more recognized ones in the state. So, you know, we've had the, we've had the ability to kind of use that as leverage. You know, we've gotten a lot of good publicity and things like that that have helped us out. Um, So these, these firms are willing to work with us now, um, which has made life significantly easier. You know, if there's one thing I can say to um, any, you know, anybody looking to start their own company, it's get a good accountant and get a good attorney. And it costs you money, but do it. Because those two things will will keep you in business um, and keep you out of trouble. Uh, is it hard to find is it harder to find employees do you think I mean so you talk about like finding professionals to work with Um, is there anything like is that a force making it harder to hire people no no it's actually not you know there's a lot of people knocking on the door that want to get into the cannabis industry Um, you know my company we have we have largely um, groomed people into the positions that that they're in you know the people that are in my that are my managers started off at the bottom. You know, they didn't come in and I just hired a manager or an assistant manager. Right. 
you know, we don't have any employees that we brought people straight in and put them in a management role. Everybody has worked the front desk. Everybody has worked as a bud tender. Everybody has worked as an assistant manager, as a closer, and worked their way up to manager or regional manager or, you know, purchasing manager or any of those things. Everybody's, everybody's done, done, their, done their job. So, you know, I think by, <clears throat> by us hiring, um, you know, or I should say promoting from within, it's made our lives a little less difficult on finding candidates yeah. um, to come in. You know, it's also made our lives a little bit harder. You know, we've had people that we've put into those positions that have ended up washing, washing out because they didn't have the management capabilities, you know. It's yeah. not competing principles. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's kind of, it's, it, it's, it just is what it is. You know, we've, it's, we share, we share some of the blame when that happens, you know, and, you know, they do as well. Um, it's, it's just one of the, one of the growth, one of the growing pains of business, you know. So when it comes to like picking locations, like what, what went into your thought process for that? Um, you know, I typically like to find places that have, you know, kind of a cool background. Um, you know, like the fire station was something that was, was already there. It was already something to be seen and then, you know, move on from that. Um, you know, we have the, the sorority house down in Eugene. That was, that was a pretty easy one, you know, to take on, um, you know, the, the Burnside store, you know, the foot traffic and regular traffic, you know, that was, that was something that made a ton of sense, you know, so it really is kind of dependent on the neighborhood where it's at. And then you start looking into, you know, all the other statistics on, on the, on the building, you know, what's the, what's the traffic daily? What's the traffic AM? What's the traffic PM? You know, what's the entrance and exits look like? How is the parking? Um, you know, what's the flow of the building? You know, all these different things kind of get factored into, um, you know, into the, the outcome of how you, of how you create the, how you can create a business around the location. And, you know, it, it really is, it really, really is location, location, location. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you, you can have the best idea ever, and if people don't know where it's at or can't get to it easily, it's not going to do very well. Yeah. So how do you guys handle marketing to people? Um, you know, we, we have a, a company that we use that does that creates a lot of our marketing material. Um, you know, from our T-shirts to our billboards to you know our print ads and stuff like that. You know, we've we've tried to um, get into. Um, promoting ourselves from within, you know, within our own website, really focusing on our SEO and stuff like that to, to help draw people through our, through our own network as opposed to paying somebody to see it. It's where, you know, print is just isn't what it used to be. Um, you know, you don't get the same kind of response in print as you do, you know, with something media-based. Um, we do SMS, um, which, is, which is pretty nice. You know, people that come in, they can put their phone number into our rewards program and we're able to reach out to them directly through an SMS, uh, a texting um, okay. platform. Yeah, it makes yeah. Whenever you want to, like, give something a bump, like, hey, we got this new product and we want to see what you think. Exactly, exactly. You don't have to, like, ramp up from, like, one person tries it to two people. You can just jump like right to the top of that. Like, exactly. Like, okay, we got you know a, a 
pool of people that we're going to offer this product to and a few of them are going to get it. Yeah. We typically try to, as opposed to exposing them to new products, try to try to expose them to the deals that we're doing. And okay. then we're trying to, you know, we, we're, we try to create a sense of urgency yeah. when we're sending those out. You know, we don't want to just be like, hey, we got this new strain in. You know, we want to be like, hey, we have this new strain and it's at this cost and there's a limited availability. That makes sense. Just basic like psychology. Yeah. Like, if something's disappearing. Yeah, exactly. So exactly, if something's difficult, more difficult to get their hands on. Then. Yeah. Um, so I saw something about you guys. You guys are developing like a a cult, Is it a cultivation and processing facility? Um, is that something you guys so, are doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you talk about a little bit how you guys decided to get into that? Um, so, I mean, we, as a retail business, the, the best way to control your own destiny is to produce your own product if you have the ability to do it. So the goal is to, um, once our facility is up and running in August, we'll be producing about 70% of our own product, okay. which means that our cost of goods is going to go down dramatically, uh, which means that we can be more competitive in the marketplace. Um, and it also just makes a lot of sense to us. How much does it save? Um, we should we should be able to save about seventy percent, so it's uh, of what we're paying. With what? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Serious? Dead serious. Yeah, it's a significant significant so you can, amount. You can almost double your gross margin. Yep. Just with that. Oh. Yeah. That's a pretty good, pretty yeah. good investment. It sounds like. Yeah, it's not it's not horrible, you know. But at the end of the day, it's a lot of money too. I mean, it's oh, we're, yeah. talk, we're talking about that facility would be a couple million dollars by the time it's said and done. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> what are um, some stuff that like you're working on? Well, a few things that you're working on now that you're like, pretty excited about in terms of like new things for the business. I mean, maybe that's one. Or... You know, we're I'm always excited about the marketing material. I love, you know, I think the part that I love most about the about the business is, you know, getting people in and working on kind of the more artsy, fun stuff. You know, the design of the stores and. You know that sort of stuff. Um, the experience know. side of it. No, just just the designs, the experience. You know, the clothing, the the memorabilia. I shouldn't say memorabilia, but the you know the swag. You know, all that sort of stuff is 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 fun to me. That's that's really the parts that I enjoy. So you know, we've got some new T-shirts that we're launching, um, which is you know that's obviously really low-level stuff. And then all the way up to you know, I'm I'm working on developing a new app. For the stores um, that I can't really get too much into right now, but I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to change a lot of the, a lot of the ways that we that we um, purchase cannabis, um, and you know, just kind of on the creative side of things, I, I really I really get excited about that stuff. Um, you know, as well as our expansion. Yeah. You know, we we have you know this new state of the art facility that will be finished up. That's just kind of adds another layer of of tinkering to be had, you know, it's yeah. just more, more stuff to go dig my hands into and go have fun with. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about that. That's probably the number one thing on my list right now is, is getting that built. And, you know, with that comes more job creation and, yeah. um, you know, more growth for the company and ability to expand and all those fun things. So it's, it's pretty cool. So, um, do you see yourself ever like your time from the business? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. bud. Working working for yourself is fun, but not working at all is, is a blast. You know, there's I don't think that I'll ever be fully retired. But you know, if I could if I could wake up every morning and and hop on a fishing boat down in Cabo, you know, I'd probably I'd probably do that. You know, <laughs> so 
you know at, at some point you know you got to have a goal how far out is that you know i'm not sure yet i'm not sure yet you know it's a, it's looking like it'll be attainable yeah yeah it'll you be, it'll be within that. 10 years it could be it very well could be okay. um you know i think that that would be a pretty pretty soft pretty soft uh timeline okay so that's pretty conservative is what you're saying yeah i think that would be good i think that you know and so, I mean, you got to figure at that point, though, I'd, I'd have almost 20 years into the business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, a lot of people retire with 20 years into their jobs. It's not that far-fetched. I just happened to start mine a lot sooner than anybody else. You know, I, I started off in the cannabis industry at 21 years old. Yeah. You know, 22 years old, I should say. And yeah, what was your first um, first job in the industry? I worked, I worked at the front desk of one of the first dispensaries in Colorado. Okay. Did you love I loved like it. it. Yeah, I loved it. It was a blast. That's what caught me. That's how I kind of caught the bug, you know. And you know, I went from there. So you gotta, you gotta figure that you know, retiring in forty uh, is. I put my time in. <laughs> you know? no, yeah. Maybe a little, maybe a little more than those other people that worked for twenty years. You know, yeah. with all the late nights and and headaches and stuff. But I can see it. Yeah, we've done it. You know, so it, it's a goal. Do I think that I'll ever be out completely? Probably not. I don't. I don't have. I don't think I have the capability to sit idle. You know, yeah. as much as I say it would be fun to sip umbrella drinks and go catch fish. You yeah. know, it's, I probably probably need a bit of a purpose more than that to to get me through the days. What does success look like to you? Um, you know, success success to me looks like um, you know, kind of the ability to have pretty much anything that you want within reach. Um, you know, now that doesn't mean that you know. I think that private jets and yeah, that's and, and yachts are you know my level of success. I think that's a, that's extreme success. You know, I think that if you can, you know, you can have a nice home and a few cars and maybe a vacation property or two, and you can put your kids through college um, and be comfortable and not stress about bills. I think that that's success. You know, that's that be my idea of success. Um, you know, at the at the, fi- at the finest point, I mean, success define- is defined by yourself. You know, I think way too much in society these days, we place success on what we see in the media and we see, you know, um, you know, in music videos and movies and this and that. And that's, you know, a lot of that stuff is not fulfilling. You know, it really isn't, you know, the sports cars and all that stuff. I went and you know, I got when I got my first big chunk of money, I went and I bought a, a GTR off the lot and paid, you know, cut a check for it right there. And, you know, thought that was, you know, that's what p- successful people do, you know, go and buy a Rolex. And, mm-hmm. you know, I went and I bought a, you know, $15,000 Rolex. And, you know, I thought that's, well, that's, that's what you do. Yeah. And I realized shortly yeah. after. A way of letting the world see how successful I am. Well, exactly. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, now I, you know, a few years later, I drive a pickup truck. You know, I don't own that Rolex anymore. You know, I, I, I was dumb to me. I got, I sold it. It's like, this is stupid. Why do I have $15,000 on my wrist? Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not who I am. Um, you know, so I think that you're, you know, what, what success is, is really defined by what you, what really, you know, creates your own happiness. Right. Um, and mine is, you know, to be, you know, independently wealthy in, in some facet and be able to put my kids through college when I have them and, you know, be able to live a, a pretty carefree lifestyle. Most people probably want. Yeah, you know, it's nothing over the top. I don't need, you know, a penthouse on Central Park and, you know, a private jet and a yacht. Give me a fishing boat and, 
Yeah. You know, some some good friends and some good beers and a comfortable life and a new pickup truck and maybe one fast car, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's a minor indulgence. Yeah, you know, but you know, it's it, it it's it, it really is it really is defined on what you create, and I think more and more, you know, and, and that people are moving away from on the entrepreneurial side. Is there's two extremes to it. There's the guys that are going to try to be the next Zuckerbergs, um, and there's the guys that are going to try to create a quality of life um, that's sustainable. Um, you know, and with being your own boss, if you set it up correctly you have the ability to create that quality of life. You know, if I wanted to, I could probably work 10 hours a week and get away with it and I would be fine. My business wouldn't expand and it probably wouldn't grow as quick as it, as quick as it is with me at the helm, but I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still find a lot of enjoyment in what I do and it still makes sense for me to continue to grow, grow the opportunities for my employees and myself and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's, I think it's important. Kind of along those lines, like how has, um, this process impacted like your personal life. You know, it's gone. It's gone through a lot of, a lot of different, a lot of different things. You know, because I was growing up while I was doing this. You know, so at twenty five. Yeah, it sounds like you've learned a lot about yourself. Oh, like, tons. Process. Tons, man. When I was twenty five and I owned my own, my own business, I thought, well, shit, I own a business now. I made it. You know, <laughs> this is this is what it's about. Yeah, I own a business. You know, and. That wasn't it, you know. I I went through you know a bit of a rowdy phase where I, I spent more money than I should have, and you know was was out trying to be the cool guy that owned his businesses, and you know that wasn't that wasn't the you know the the smart thing to do. And then I came to realize that you know none of that stuff none of that stuff really matters. What matters is like is making sure that you know your employees get paid, that your bills get paid, and that you have fun doing it. And you know, what everybody else thinks, you know, it's kind of like screw them. You know, I'm not here to change your mind. I'm not going to be anti you. You can be anti me if you want, but I don't really care. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, you know, I think that I think that the balance within everybody is just you have to be, um, you know, happy with yourself, and you have to be, um, you know, you have to go after what you believe in, and that's that's really it. You know, there's a book, a book that I read and I listen to whenever I'm feeling stressed out. It's called The Four Agreements. It's kind of it's kind of corny. Um, you know, it's, about it. it's like it's like a it's a self help book. Um, the four agreements. Um, you know, it, it talks about how as humans, you know, we constantly make agreements with ourselves. Um, you know, if it says you know use your words impeccably. You know, um, be impeccable with your words. See, so your words get you everywhere, right? And your words got you into this office to yeah. sit down with me for this interview, right? Sure. That's what your words did. Your words can also get you in a lot of trouble. You know, your words can get you into weird situations. Your words can can hurt other people. You know, um, those. So it's, it talks about being impeccable with your words. You know, because you you can affect somebody negatively, or you can affect somebody positively, and you can affect yourself by the way that you use them too. Um, the other agreement is um, to not take anything personally. You know, if somebody wants to be an asshole to you, then that's on them. Try not to be reactive. I learned that trying not to be reactive to things is—it's so much better. <laughs> it gives you a lot of a lot of sense of peace. Somebody cuts you off, you know, not you know giving them the bird. Yeah. You know, it's, you start to you starts to calm down. It's a uh, you know it's the the whole overall book is just a really cool really cool concept of um, you know how how life probably should be and how 
today's society has kind of shaped it into what it is, where everybody feels like they're living up to a standard that's not their own. Yeah, it's a bizarre consumerism. Oh, it's thing. nuts, man. Yeah. It's nuts. Everybody's, everybody's just, you know, enthralled in it. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you ever read any of, uh, like, the Mr. Money Mustache stuff? Mm-hmm. You heard that? I haven't. Uh, he's, like, uh, hard the other way. Okay. Um, he's basically, like, um, He's one of those like retire early kind of guys. I started reading like a week ago. That's not like I'm an expert, but um, yeah. Basically, he figures like, well, you need like a bike, and maybe you and your spouse share a car, but like your living expenses should be like twenty five thousand a year if you're like meeting your needs and not being ridiculous. And he is like super optimized. Like, like that's what he likes to do in his life is just like optimized to like every little penny. Like making sure that that's perfect and really? that's not like the model that I aspire to but it's like it's like a really strong like antidote to the nonsense that's out there yeah yeah I mean there's you know I have a I have a buddy that is a real real good close friend of mine that is probably one of the most calculated people that I know like if he sets himself on a budget he sticks to that budget you know and his budgets are pretty shrewd for the most part you know the way that he sets himself up he's you know he's a successful guy he's an engineer but he 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 when he puts his puts his foot down to himself he keeps it down and he lives small and it works out for him really well you know what I mean he's he's 27 now and he just bought a you know half a million dollar house on his own and you know, this that was you know working, going from a college to an engineering job and working his way up. I mean, he's he's one of the most um, you know well put together people I know. Yeah. And there's there's prudent, yeah, prudent, yeah. And and that and that's you know so that kind of goes along those lines, not to that extreme. I mean, he's he's not he's not dialed down that much, but yeah. now he he definitely is calculated with everything that he does. And there's you know there if. If that type of stuff is the way that, if the way the way that you know makes you happy, I know guys that that type of stuff makes them happy. Mm-hmm. That being that way makes them happy. And if that's the case, then who gives a shit? If that's your idea of success, great, yeah, cool. You know what I mean? Because you probably have end up with a surplus of dough in the bank, and you're you're good to go. You know, um, so it's you know there's like I said, there, success is defined by by you mm-hmm. and nobody else. You know, it's it's not it's not the Kardashians. It's not you know these rappers. It's not you know rock stars. It's not athletes. It's not any of those things. Those guys, you know, half of them are probably friggin' miserable. Yeah. You know? And you will be too if you chase you chase after something right. somebody else somebody else life. yeah somebody else's idea of success. And I I think about that a little bit of like it kind of trickles all the way down like it's not that I want to live like the Kardashians or whatever it's like that's completely unrealistic but there's like many layers between there's someone who's almost as rich as them that wants to live as like like they do mm-hmm. and then there's someone who's like almost as rich as that person etc and you like kind of it like fans out through everyone's network and I mean I have money, friends making more money than me like in some cases like two or three times as much money as I do mm-hmm. and it's like well okay like I would like that but then if I keep saying that it's like like there's always someone with more. Like you can yeah. set, keep setting that milepost out there, um, but then when I focus on like, well, like I have like a really comfortable bed and yeah. I have like a good relationship with my girlfriend. I'm like we're living in a studio, but 
generally like I don't want for anything because it's see and that's cool that's that's a cool thing and that's that's a good mentality to have one of my one of my favorite things to do is like you said you want for nothing one of my favorite things to do is if I want to go out to eat I go out to eat wherever I want whenever I want to mm-hmm. like we, we can go out and go to El Gaucho or whatever and it's not I'm not worried about it you know what I mean I don't do it all the time yeah. But, you know, just being able to, like, oh, you want to do that? Yeah, let's go do it. Like you do know? something you, you yeah, could you want, as a kid. Yeah, you want to go to the coast for the weekend? Yeah, let's go. You know what I mean? Being able to do those sort of things, they're not necessarily extravagant, but they're... they're yeah, yeah, it's probably like it's just a couple like, hundred bucks here or there. Yeah, you know, it's, you know... It, it, yeah, like most I mean, people can probably do that if they, spent, if they didn't spend money on other dumb things. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the, the ability to pay a bill when it comes up, that's cool and not worry about it, you know, and not have to budget for it. You know, those things those things are fun. Being comfortable is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's it. You know, you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, it's it really is, it really is, you know, your success is defined by what you make it. And, you know, just because, you know, as, as you know, human nature, you're always setting a new milepost. And when you get there, then you spend more, and then it's then it's harder to live that lifestyle because nobody yeah. makes more money and lives their same lifestyle. Right. You know, you you know the guy that graduated college with you know a, a '95 Toyota Tacoma, you know gets his first job, and what does he, what does he do? He goes and he buys a 2016 Toyota Tacoma. You know what I mean? He doesn't. Yeah. He, so his bills change with with his or her growth. Yeah. You know like I mean? you never have that. That enough. It's yeah. No, it's, it's never, never enough. enough. You, <laughs> it's never you, enough. We always have like barely enough, and that's stressful. Or you always have barely not enough, and that's like yeah. Oh, I don't know. How people live that way, but yeah. Uh, I'd right. I'd really rather have like a crappy lifestyle and like have like plus one cent. And uh, <laughs> I think it's a Ben Franklin line actually. Uh, he's in like the difference. Um, like there's a huge difference between a guy who makes like. I don't know, like 19 pounds and one pence and spends 19 pounds and the guy who spends 19 pounds and makes 18 pounds and 99 pence. Yeah. Yeah, no, there, you're absolutely right. I mean, spending within your means is, is a, is 100%, you know, the way that, the way that you should do it, you know, to create security and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, the, <laughs> you're, but you're, you're absolutely right. And that, you know, it's, they chase you when you're always chasing you're never going to be you're never going to be content mm-hmm. um, and I think as humans like probably the, the most incredible feeling is those feelings of contentness you know when you're like this is good I'm yeah. comfortable I don't feel stressed you know I'm not worried about just you know what's going on tomorrow on yeah yeah you know you just feel that a lot, yeah you know just just sitting within you know sitting with this within the moment and you know, living there is, is probably, that's success. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, thank you so much for your time. I yeah, that's right, man. This week's guest was Matt Price, founder of Cannabis. You can find out more about his company at CannabisNCo.com and on Twitter at CannabisPDX. Music for his podcast is provided by Cambrian Explosion, who can thank me for not making a stoner rock joke in this week's episode uh, you can check out more about this podcast on twitter at why try a podcast also please hit subscribe thanks for listening